0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Surma Pod. This is the podcast for the Sports and Entertainment Risk Management Alliance. I am Rich Lenkov. I'm the founder and CEO of Surma. I'm also the host of the Surma Pod, and we're very fortunate today to have a leader. In the NIL industry, uh, he is all over the place these days talking about NILs. He's got a busy practice representing players and uh, business organizations dealing with sports. His law firm is Porter Wright. Luke Fedlam, welcome to the SummerPod.
1: Rich, thank you so much for having me. It's great to see you.
0: So there's a breaking situation involving the uh, Cavender girls. This is Haley and Hannah Cavender, who are college basketball players and TikTok uh, superstars, right? They have over 4 million followers. They joined the Miami Hurricanes basketball program after transferring from Fresno State. Um, and they were one of the early pioneers in name, image, and likeness uh, endorsement deals. And they have run afoul of the NCAA recently. Why don't we start by uh, you, if, if you can not explain to our listeners and viewers, what NALs are, what the current status of that is, and then we'll get into what went wrong allegedly in this situation. Sure. So name,
1: image, and likeness really is the ability for college student-athletes now to license the use of their persona rights, their right to their name, their image, their likeness. And licensing basically means they can lend it for a fee. So they can earn compensation by having their name, their image, their likeness associated with various brands and, and companies. But even beyond that, name, image and likeness in this kind of new environment since July 1st of 2021 is really about college student athletes being able to earn compensation in ways that they never have before. They can run camps and clinics. They can, you know, make appearances. They can sign autographs. They can do traditional kind of sports endorsement deals. All of these things that athletes have never had the right to do until about 18 months ago. So it is most certainly a an interesting and busy time in this space. But when we talk NIL, that's what it's all about. And just to be clear, one thing for your listeners, I, I think it's important sometimes to really talk. There's really kind of two sides of name, image, and likeness. And this is what I think has really caused a lot of people to question kind of what exactly we're talking about. Because on the one hand, you have everything that I just said, right? Which is the traditional, I am going to license to a company the ability to put my name on a product or uh, on a service, and I'm going to get paid for that. And that is traditionally what NIL is meant to be. But what we've, what we've also seen is the involvement in, in creation of NIL collectives, having boosters and donors and others who put together deals, and I'll use that term loosely, in order for uh, the ability to recruit and or retain particular talent at a specific institution. So there's kind of two sides of name, image, and likeness, and I think that's what makes it such a complex topic to talk about these days.
0: Yeah, for sure. I really appreciate that background. What prompted this NIL um, you know, what, what, what was the impetus to allowing student athletes to use their name image like this in this way? So this has been something that's been talked about for years. We we probably
1: got the closest to allowing this during the Ed O'Bannon case when Ed O'Bannon took on EA Sports and took on the NCAA, right? They were selling jerseys with student athletes names on the back and getting paid off of that. And the athlete was getting nothing. And so ultimately, we thought we might see some change then. And we're talking kind of the early 2000s, like 2009 through 2013, 14 kind of time frame. It didn't happen, Uh, but in 2019, the state of California from a state legislative perspective, passed a name, image, and likeness bill that turned into law that went, was set to go into effect in 2023. But then ultimately, Florida then said, well, if California is going to do it, we're going to do it. And California, dis- I mean, Florida decided that we don't care about waiting till 2023. We'll make it effective July 1st of 2021. States all decided to follow suit. Of course, nobody wants to rule out the opportunity to, to recruit the best talent and be able to say that we can you can earn compensation. Um, But the final straw, I think, was the uh, NCAA versus Alston Supreme Court case, which was the oral arguments were heard in March of 2021. And the final decision from the court came late June of 2021, about 10 days before uh, Florida and other states laws were set to go into effect, where ultimately the Supreme Court of the United States said, That the NCAA uh, lost unanimously. And we all know these days anything the court does unanimously is a really big deal and said, hey, you don't have the right. It wasn't an NIL case, but ultimately the heart of the the question that was presented to the court was whether or not it was an antitrust violation for. The NCAA to put caps or limits on education related benefits. And in the court's analysis, they talked about uh, the fact that the NCAA doesn't have the freedoms, um, these antitrust protections and freedoms that that they thought they did. So ultimately, two days after that, uh, the decision was rendered. The uh, NCAA Board of Governors basically said, hey everybody, we're going to suspend our bylaws related to earning compensation. And so if you're a school that's in a state that allows for name, image, and likeness, your school policy has to follow state law. And if you're a school that's in a state that doesn't have an NIL law in place, you just have to come up with your own NIL policy. And we're going to allow schools then independently to come up with their policy for student athletes to earn compensation.
0: It's really important, as you mentioned, student athletes uh, earning compensation to remember that While NILs is a groundbreaking innovation, it's a small sliver of the pie in terms of college athletics, right? I mean, in order to avail yourself of compensation from NILs, you still have to go out and sell yourself. And that's a incredibly small piece of the student athlete population. It doesn't mean that the NCAA or other leagues are sharing the incredible amount of revenue with athletes, as many have called for.
1: You're absolutely right. And I think you touched on one of the bigger issues that is still yet to face the college sports space, uh the college sports industry, which is revenue share. And from that perspective, when you look at things like conference realignment that helped media deals so you look at ucla and usc joining the big 10 and because of that the big 10 signing a 7.5 billion dollar media rights deal Uh, a lot of people are saying well student athletes since it's built on the backs of the student athletes performances on the field i.e traditionally football uh, the student athletes should be able to in some way participate now on his way out the door um uh, Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner who recently stepped down to take over uh, running the, the, the Chicago Bears organization, he had some meetings with some various football players across the Big Ten to talk about this possibility of revenue share. But let's be clear, name, image and likeness, NIL, is not related to revenue share and it's not related to schools paying student athletes directly. It really is the freedom of agency, if you will, for student athletes to be able to go out and contract with a third party to be able to
0: license their NIL. So speaking of that, two student athletes who have done very well doing that to our earlier point are the Cavender girls. Uh, what was their deal, and what is the alleged infraction that uh, we're, we're discussing today?
1: So, so this is this is really interesting on on a few different levels because in some respects, <laughs> the, the NCAA is really kind of calling these right now kind of NIL adjacent cases, and I think that's important because. Because the NCAA did not come with a proactive bylaw allowing name, image, and likeness, what they did was they said we are going to suspend our current bylaws that say you can't go out and earn compensation. So there's a, a nuanced difference there. That so what they then do is look at it to say, okay, well, is there a violation um, of our current bylaws in place uh, that 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 someone potentially violated? Now. Um, Uh, One more point, and I'm going to get into the facts of the case here in a second, but one more point that's also important to notice is that recently the NCAA said they've been trying to clarify their guidance around name, image, and likeness uh, kind of regulations. And recently, within the last few months, they said that there is going to automatically be a presumption of guilt if we receive a case um, uh, uh, that there was an infraction around name, image and likeness, we're going to assume that that infraction occurred and it's going to be up to the school or those involved to prove that it didn't. Which from a due process perspective and me being a lawyer is a most certainly a backwards way to look at it. But but I, I get that, though, from the NCAA's perspective, obviously there is a, there is a lot then to have to go and try to enforce Uh, you know, kind of these name, image and likeness uh, policies across the across the NCAA. So so but this particular instance, uh, this particular case involving the Cavender Twins and the University of Miami women's basketball team occurred prior to that. So this was this was um, kind of determined um, in a bit of a different way where there was not this presumption of some 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 violation of, of bylaws or NCAA rules. So so what happened? Uh, the Cavender twins as you mentioned early um, early in your comments they have been at the forefront of a lot of name image and likeness opportunities in fact they were at Fresno State at the time Their twin sisters uh, that who play basketball and they were at Fresno State. And when name, image and likeness went into effect, they were like in the middle of Times Square in, in Manhattan, in New York, uh, doing a, a promo, uh, I think, like midnight of uh, July 1st of 2021 to highlight the fact that they're engaged in this space. So they've been involved. Um, they ultimately decided that they were going to transfer. And one of the schools that they were evaluating was University of Miami. Now, the University of Miami is interesting because it's also been in the forefront of a lot of stories around name, image, and likeness, primarily due to uh, one of their um, biggest donors uh, by the name of John Ruiz. And and so Ruiz has been in the forefront of NIL news because of deals that he did with the football team, deals that he's done with other individual players and individual athletes um, at the university. So the question here and the, the issue that arose was, That there was um, a visit between the Cavender twins and Ruiz as a as a uh, donor to the institution. And the question was whether there was a meal provided or not. And if there is a meal, is that an impermissible benefit? Which, again, if if um, if a meal were provided as part of a name, image and likeness deal, that's different. Student athlete provides a service. Booster donor business provides uh, some benefit, whether that's a meal, whether that's compensation, that's fine. But if it's recruiting and there's no services provided by the by the student athlete, that's still goes back to the old rules that the NCAA has around impermissible benefits. So that's kind of what occurred there. Uh, apparently, the women's basketball coach was involved um, and had knowledge of this and was involved. And so so ultimately. One of the things that's important to note is that and, and we'll probably talk about a little bit more about this but this was a negotiated um, resolution between the institution and the NCAA committee on infractions which again is important because this was then to say hey we're going to agree that these certain activities occurred and that with these certain activities occurring here are the penalties that we're going to um, you know be comfortable with both parties come together they agree and it gets written up now, that's a quick synopsis of what happens, and 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 I'm sure that you're probably going to want to talk about what happens next. But let me pause and see what what questions do you have?
0: Yeah, no, I mean it's it, you get a, you've given us a great summary, and it's really interesting to uh to think about the first you know one of the big first NAL cases being uh, these two women. I think a lot of people might have perceived the first cases or the first big deals to be of you know college basketball players or football players because those are generally perceived to be. The biggest revenue generators. But I, th- I think the fact that, you know, uh, these twins caught on kind of speaks to the overall sense of what NILs are all about because it's not just about what's happening on the field. It's very much has to do with social media and your engagement and your, uh, your, your influence, right? Mo- most certainly. And, and, and you're spot on. I think one of the, and, and, and advertisers are looking for, right? Uh, you might be a great player on the field. That doesn't necessarily translate into, receivables that that sponsors are looking for. That's right. That's right.
1: It's interesting. Name, image, and likeness kind of goes both ways. And In the one instance, you have those athletes who are great performers, elite performers on the field that do have a big social media following because of that and are able to go out and represent brands and companies in the industry and be compensated for that. But on the flip side too, you also have this this younger generation, now this, you know, when I look at social media, I'm the worst. I, and I admit that I, I'm, I'm not that good at it because I'll do things like I'll sit there and think like, what do I want to say? You know, what should I write here? Uh, you know, 140 characters or whatever I need. And it's like, oh, I had a great time at such and such event. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm so vanilla in some respects, but at the same time, this is an uh, the student athletes at the college level now have grown up with social media. Right. For for folks like you and I, it's it it was something that was introduced to us when we already had the ways in which we we engage. And so it's it takes more thought, I think, on our end. A lot of times for student athletes, student athletes are coming into college with followings that go beyond their performance or athletic ability. So there are student athletes that are doing significant name, image and likeness deals that don't happen to have, um you know, the the the. The future professional athlete kind of ability. What they have is uh, somebody that's able to, to draw a, a following or a crowd on social media because of other interests and things that they're involved with. So, so yeah, so, so you're right on that point. But the other thing to highlight to, to your, to your earlier point. When you look at the University of Miami, there's a, a really fascinating story around Jaden Rashada, who is a high school quarterback who was recruited to Miami, committed to Miami. And there was a belief that it was a nine million dollar name, image and likeness opportunity for him. And that blew everyone's mind. Um, and then he decommits from Miami and commits to the University of Florida for a reported 13.8 million dollars of a name, image and likeness deal that then completely falls apart. Um, And he ultimately asks to get has to petition the NCAA to get released from his uh letter, his commitment to University of Florida. And now is going to, you know, has transferred out to Arizona and is not doing anything in this NIL space that's of significance to your. So to your point, yes, most people thought we were going to see football players and basketball players kind of be that first wave of NIL or NIL adjacent cases being heard by the NCAA. But in fact, we have, you know, the Cavender twins and women's basketball at the University of Miami.
0: So why they pick this case, what are the allegations and and what do you think uh, the outcome will be? And again, it's, it's a little interesting to think that the NCAA, you know, hasn't put forth a lot of rules on it. And it very much is the wild, wild west out there when it comes to NILs, given how much money is involved and how new it is. And the fact that you're dealing with, you know, Kids, really, right? Teenagers in most cases. Um, And then on the other hand, they are trying to enforce, uh, you know, they are trying to avoid some infractions. So that's a little bit uh, hard to put together. So maybe break that down a little bit for us.
1: Absolutely. So so in terms of the allegations, um, one of the things that's been that's a challenge for the NCAA is to figure out how do we deal with boosters? How do we deal with these NIL collectives? How do we deal with third parties that? that aren't our member institutions. As an association, it's so much easier for us to go after our institutions or to go after student athletes who have violated some of the, the regulations that we have in place. When you have these third parties, it becomes more of a challenge, but that's also what highlights uh, um, maybe competitive schools, uh, those who maybe lose out on the recruiting battle for someone to then say, hey, it's interesting. It seems like that person met with this person. And I think that's a violation. And and that could be very easily. I don't know that to be fact in this case. But if if Ruiz, as one of the probably most well-known donors who has been actively involved in the name, image and likeness space from day one, um, having him be involved makes sense that someone might say, hey, uh, we lost out on this particular you know recruit or recruits. And we know that they met with this individual, et cetera, and you can't use you're not supposed to be using name, image and likeness or the the, um, um, you know, the incentives of name, image and likeness to induce a student athlete to transfer and to go to another institution. So so you can see why the allegations would come to play here just because of the well-known nature of this particular donor. But when we when we kind of go through what the negotiated settlement was or the negotiated resolution was here, what's really interesting is that they 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 contemplated or talked about this idea of a disassociation penalty. Um, and that is significant. And I think in this whole case, that's what the. The one of the biggest takeaways is right, which is the committee on infractions said explicitly that they will strongly consider disassociation penalties in future cases that involve NIL adjacent conduct or NIL adjacent scenarios. And what, what does that mean? So disassociation penalties are those penalties that would say, hey, um, this donor uh, who caused this penalty um, can no longer be involved for a period of time with the institution. And if you think about the University of Miami, if if they were somebody like a a Ruiz who has been actively heavily involved um, in the NIL space, but then also just in donating to the institution itself, to the athletic department, if all of a sudden that person now has to disassociate with the university and can't give, can't be involved and engaged, that is a major blow to the institution itself, even for, for whatever period of time that may be now. They they considered it here. They talked about it here. Um, they didn't feel like that was something that was um, uh, that they that they that they agreed upon in this particular case. But it's something that most certainly is on the table. And I think that alone, in my opinion, is one of the reasons why this this particular case is so important. Because I think this is what shares with other donors, other boosters, other NIL collectives who really are operating in almost a wild, wild west capacity, like you mentioned earlier, to say, hey, you all can be penalized as well. Now, does a booster think to themselves like it's a penalty if I can't, if I don't, if I legitimately can't give to an institution? So great. okay, I don't have to give my money this year. I can I can save, you know, save on that. But. These are boosters and donors who care deeply about their institutions that they're involved with, want to see them be successful um, overall and successful in the in the in the athletic space. And so that is a major, major uh, potential for penalty that the NCAA could levy.
0: Well, going forward, um, how important I mean, listen, it's obvious that NALs are now a huge part of the recruitment process of the. Uh, any major student athlete is going to be thinking about considering higher re- representation for NILs. We saw the famous dust up uh, last season between Nick Saban and, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Jimbo Fisher about yeah. NIL. So This is a big deal and it will continue to be a big deal as the money rolls in. You mentioned the Big Ten contract. I mean, that, that's billions with a B, right? right? These are dollars. So, um, you know, you're in these living rooms yourself, right? You are talking to a lot of these student athletes how much are nils on the subject matter of every coach, every recruiter, every ad, every athlete out there. So when you start to talk about football and basketball and you
1: talk about elite athletes, it is 100% of the converse, it's it's a part of the conversation 100% of the time, right? Yeah. Student athletes are still using other um other uh, factors to determine where they may want to go to school, things like coaching staff, uh, tradition, opportunity to make it to the next level, facilities, geography, all academics, all those other things. But name, image and likeness is most certainly a significant part of the conversation for your elite athletes um, across sports, primarily in basketball and football. There are some sports where it doesn't come up. Where where, or rather with some athletes, it just doesn't come up either because they're not that interested in NIL or it's just not something that moves the needle for them, maybe because they just don't see themselves engaging in that way. But when you talk about pretty much any of the elite um, uh, athletes, especially in football and basketball, it is 100. It is a part of the conversation 100 percent of the time.
0: Look, last question here on the Sermapod. Um, you have a long and distinguished career of representing athletes, uh, both professional and now collegiate. Right. What how does your advice, how does your counsel differ when you're dealing with when you're in the living room of a student athlete versus a more seasoned professional?
1: To be honest with you, a lot of the education is the same. It's just at different levels. So I care deeply about education. In fact, um, I'm the uh, founder and uh, managing partner of Advance NIL. So you can check out AdvanceNIL.com, where we work with uh, groups of athletes at all levels. So we're representing, uh, we're the uh, exclusive NIL education partner for the public, uh, for Pennsylvania's uh, public high school athletic association. Same thing with Massachusetts, working with probably 40 to 50 colleges, universities across the country, and then um, work with multiple teams within the NFL and the uh, NBA as well from an education perspective. So I when I say these things, I care deeply about the education at the college level that education most certainly has to happen with both the student athlete and the parents as well. And that's one of the things that's different at the professional level when you're dealing with uh professional professionals who are older um who are making professional money in their sport, uh, you're really honing in on making sure that they get and understand this. At the college level, most college student athletes, especially elite athletes are saying, I just want to make money and I want to perform in my sport. That's what I care about. But what I highly encourage them to also think about are things like the contracts that they may sign and making sure that you are protected and that there's language in the contract that can make sure that you are uh, providing the services you believe you're supposed to be providing, but also receiving the uh, on the receiving end of the obligations that that company or brand should be providing. Making sure that you understand the, the idea of taxes and helping families understand how money works when it comes to uh, NIL deals. As When you do NIL deals, you're an independent contractor. And so a lot of times parents don't know the difference between being a W-2 employee or a 1099 independent contractor and what impact that can have from a tax perspective. So helping understand the business side of sports at the, at the college level uh, is most certainly important for both the student athlete and their parents as well.
0: All right. I promise that was the last question. I got one more just while I have you here, Luke, because we want sure. like to get to our guests a little bit more at the end of our, every uh, podcast. Uh, you're around a lot of, you know, athletes, a lot of well-known people, uh who's the one encounter you had or one celebrity you encounter one uh, athlete you encounter that made you really starstruck made you think wow that was a incredible encounter
1: <laughs> um man this was uh this was probably 2006 or 7 and, uh, it was the first when I, when I, uh, I met LeBron James and Dwayne Wade together down in Miami at a restaurant having dinner with, uh, with another, uh, NBA player, uh, who's a client. And, and these two guys come over to talk with that player and I'm at the table. And it's just, uh, for me, it was just kind of like, wow, because that was at the same time that, that I really was kind of just getting started in the sports space. Um, as I've, as I've kind of navigated, you know, I don't know what now, 15, 16, 17 years, um, kind of in this space. The starstruck nature for me isn't isn't there as much because I've had years and years of really working with players to like just protect them like anybody else. And, and it's it sounds kind of weird. Don't get me wrong. I love what I do, but I love what I do and I'm passionate about what I do. Not because of the celebrity nature of the athletes I work with, but because I know that they have the opportunity to make a positive impact on themselves, their families and communities. And if I can help protect the possibilities that they have to do that, to me, that's a win. So I can look back at the end of my career and said, I've had a positive impact on young people being able to have a greater impact on the people around them.
0: Very well stated that the law firm is Porter Wright. The podcast is Protecting Your Possibilities Luke, Fedlam, thank you so much for joining us. Please come back and update us on this and other issues that you're dealing with. We really appreciate your time.
1: Hey, Rich, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate being on the Sermapod, man. Thanks so much. Ideas, strategies, and opinions represented on this podcast are those of the speakers and do not represent the ideas, strategies, and opinions of their employers.